0: Revelation 19 this morning, please. Revelation 19. Do have a Bible, please. Uh, Revelation 19. Uh, Revelation 19, one man says, connects uh, with chapter 16 chronologically and reveals the second coming of Christ at the conclusion uh, of the tribulation. Brother Mike and another man said it more eloquently and added a bit. He says this. Uh, here in this chapter the somber gives way to song the transfer is from darkness to light from black to white from dreary days of judgment to bright days of blessing this chapter makes a definite uh, bifurcation in revelation and ushers in the great event for this earth the second coming of christ Uh, it is the bridge between the great tribulation uh, and the millennium. Praise God, uh, praise God, it is uh, just that. We'll see uh, this morning a number of uh, uh, ideas uh, related to this time, a number of interesting words uh, here in this chapter also. But let's jump right in, um, uh, Revelation chapter 19, uh, beginning in verse 1, uh, the scene is heaven Uh, And it would seem to be the case that there is a great song of praise, Brother Ray, being sung. John writes, Revelation 19 verse 1, after these things, I heard a great voice uh, of much people in in heaven. Uh, Imagine how many people might be in heaven. Brother Ray, we hope it's more than we could possibly imagine. Uh, Here's what they're saying, they're saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor uh, and power unto the Lord our God, Uh, for true and righteous are his judgments. Uh, He hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, uh, that false system of the tribulation period, uh, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand, uh, and again, they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up for uh, ever and ever. And so this seems to be Mike worship uh, there in the throne room of heaven. We've had the privilege a number of times uh, in Revelation to see John's prophecy of worship in the throne room. Uh, Brother Ray, to have any insight of the uh, setting uh, in the throne room of heaven, that, that's a pretty big privilege that we can open our Bible and see uh, what it's like there and to see what it will be like in the future. Uh, the, the worship there following uh, the judgment of the tribulation period. There'll be time, an occasion for great judgment um, indeed. Well, I want to just point out some special words here. Uh, you have the word alleluia, A-L-L-E-U, uh, e L U I A, something like that, <laughs> Brother Mike. Hallelujah. Sounds like what, Zach? Oh. Hallelujah. And uh, in fact, it is. Uh, this would be uh, the Hebrew word, hallelujah, praise ye the Lord, uh, uh, brought into the Greek, translated to the Greek, and then into the English. Uh, Hebrew to Greek to English. And it looks pretty similar to uh, the, the Hebrew to English, Hallelujah. Uh, the meaning would be the same as the Hebrew word, which really is a Hebrew phrase, praise ye the Lord. And You see that word here in verse one. Uh, look in verse three again, they said, alleluia, uh, praise ye the Lord. Look at the end of verse four, there's an amen. Uh, and the last word of verse four is a, alleluia, praise ye the Lord. Look down at verse five. Uh, there. Uh, almost to the end of, forgive me, verse six, uh, hallelujah. Uh, so a whole bunch of, of praise uh, happening there. Uh, remember this also, Brother 8, it doesn't just mean praise ye the Lord. It does mean that literally, but it's a command. It's in the imperative form. And so uh, here it seems like Mike, this much people in heaven, Uh, they're uh, encouraging each other to praise the Lord. And uh, of course, that'd be a good example for us also. There's all kinds of challenges and trials and tribulations uh, this side uh, of the tribulation period on the timeline. Uh, uh, We need to be encouraging each other to praise uh, the Lord even for the trials, the difficulties uh, that we face. Uh, So back at verse 1, there's a great voice of much people. Brother Ray, it's interesting. It's much people, but a great voice, Uh, one voice. So it's much people who are speaking or singing or praising with one voice. Uh, A great unity being pictured there, right? A great voice. Uh, Hallelujah. Salvation Uh, They're praising the Lord, no doubt, that uh, he's made a way of salvation. Uh, They say glory, he alone is worthy of glory, of praise and worship. Uh, They say honor, he has great value. Uh, That word honor is also translated precious. Uh, The Lord is precious, our prayers are precious to him. He uh, is precious, he has great value, he's worthy of great esteem. Uh, after honor, they say power. They're praising him for all of these things. Underlying word is that word uh, d- dynamis. Uh, our word dynamite, dunamis, or dynamis comes from uh, this word. It's also translated um, ability, abundance, uh, power, and strength, uh, and, and mighty work. Uh, and of course, our Lord is, is all of that. So Uh, Praise here for the Lord being our source of salvation, worthy of glory, worthy of honor, uh, of great power. Uh, Brother Ray, I always liked to remind, and I think you you know this, if you're uh, wondering what can I praise the Lord about uh, for uh, today in my prayers, remember the Lord Jesus taught us to bookend our prayers with praise and worship uh, what, what better example, Mike, do we have than the example of Scripture? Uh, I'll praise the Lord for being these things. You just make a list. I'm gonna praise the Lord in, in my prayerfully uh, today as uh, those in heaven are uh, prophesied to be praising the Lord for So take example from Scripture um, in that regard. Uh, see verse 2, for true and righteous are his judgments. Sure enough, the Lord is true. Uh, he's perfectly righteous. Uh, he's the one, continuing through verse 2, who will have judged uh, the, the false system of the tribulation period and all of those uh, who promulgated it, who set it up. We'll see the, uh, the judgment of the Antichrist in this chapter, uh, allusions to that also. Verse 3, again, they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever, I think Zach, that's a picture of the, this false system—the uh, religious, the economic, the political system of the tribulation period. It's gone forever. Uh, it's destroyed. Its smoke uh, rises up. It's—it's not—it's not coming back. Uh, in verse four, we see uh, more worship: the four and twenty elders and four beasts. So. Uh, 24 elders and the four beasts that we've seen alluded to earlier, the four and 20 elders and the four beasts fell down. Uh, that's a humble posture, right? They, they fall down before the Lord. Their humility is pictured in their posture. Uh, they worship God that sat on the throne saying, amen, uh, surely, or so be it, or so let it be. Uh, it's also That same word is also translated verily. Uh, truly, surely, so let it be, uh, saying, Amen. And they say, Alleluia! Praise ye the Lord, uh, praising him perhaps for his truth and righteousness. Uh, in verse two, then verse five, John, here's a voice. Remember, this is this is prophecy. What he's recording here is a prophecy of the worship that follows all the judgment, or the majority of the judgment, uh, perhaps. Uh, Toward the end of the tribulation period, a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants. Uh, So similar language uh, to alleluia. Here it's uh, praise our God, all ye uh, his servants. That's obviously a command. Uh, Don't know uh, exactly who is speaking here. Uh, Perhaps one of the elders Uh, They issue forth this command, and ye that fear him, both small and great. Verse 6, John says, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, uh, and the voice of many waters, uh, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying alleluia for the Lord God omnipotent. Uh, reigneth, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Uh, Zach, I don't know if you have thoughts about who might be speaking in verse six, but uh, it sounds like someone special is speaking in verse six. Uh, the voice of many waters, the voice of mighty thunderings. It, it could be that multitude, uh, but this could be Christ also speaking, uh, encouraging and commanding worship. I think that's uh, at, least, uh, at least a possibility. Uh, You have the word omnipotent here. Um, It is translated almighty nine times in the the New Testament. Um, uh, um, It appears uh, eight times in Revelation. Uh, It's um, almighty, uh, the same underlying word almighty uh, here is translated omnipotent. Rich, what does omnipotent mean? All-powerful, right, the Lord is uh, all-powerful, omnipotent, uh, he's omnipresent, Brother Mike, he's everywhere. Zach, do you have another omni? Uh, he's all-powerful, he's everywhere. He's omniscient, meaning all-knowing. So so three omnis that are uh, attributes uh, that can uh, uniquely be, be known of, of the Lord. So... Uh, here he's, um, there's a command to worship him uh, because he is omnipotent. He is almighty, uh, the word almighty. Um, let's just take a quick tour here. Uh, go back to chapter one real fast. Let's, let's just flip through uh, the book real fast. If, if you can, just flip back to chapter one. Uh, Verse 8, Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is uh, and which was and which is to come. So there's his eternality. Uh, He's called there at the end of chapter 1, verse 8, the Almighty. Uh, If you flip ahead to chapter 4 and verse 8, toward the end of chapter 4 and verse 8, uh, the four beasts are uh, saying, Holy, 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 uh, Lord God Almighty. So he's holy, he's omnipotent, which was and is and is to come. He's eternal, uh, holy, uh, omnipotent, and eternal. Uh, flip ahead real fast to Revelation chapter 11. They're just taking a quick tour here. Chapter 11, I don't hear any pages turning. It always concerns the pastor. <laughs> Revelation chapter 11, chapter uh, Uh, There's worship there. We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 17. O O Lord God uh, Almighty. Uh, Look at chapter 15. Flip ahead to chapter 15 uh, and verse 3. This is where they sing the song of Moses, uh, the servant of God. Of course, uh, the song of Moses, uh, when, when people came out of Egypt uh, there was a song that Moses sang, uh, hear the song of the Lamb, saying, great and marvelous are, are their works, Lord God Almighty. Uh, and so we, we could just continue uh, further, but uh, you get the idea all the way through the book of Revelation, the might of God is emphasized. His omnipotence uh, is emphasized. And uh, Rich, if you think about that, this would be a great chapter to emphasize the omnipotence of the Lord because... Uh, he's literally shaken the earth, right? He's shaken his creation, his, his all-powerfulness, his omnipotence, his, his uh, might has most certainly been on display uh, throughout this book. Even if the Lord didn't say it, uh, object, uh, uh, right out explicitly, uh, we could see his omnipotence, his great might uh, throughout this book. Uh, let's continue on. Uh, back in Revelation uh, 19, uh, verses 7, 8, and 9, uh, we see here the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so um, this is familiar to us, of course, uh, this this great feast. Uh, some have theorized that this actually takes place during the tribulation, forgive me, the um, the um, millennial reign of Christ. There's uh, prophecy, Isaiah's prophecy of feasts in the, in the millennium. And so some associate the marriage supper of the Lamb with the millennium. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily the case. think there is a chronology here. So I uh, think that the marriage supper of the Lamb is an event that most likely, the Lord will correct us if we need to be corrected, most likely occurs in heaven uh, prior to the millennium, and it's it's this great uh, feast that uh, pictures the the consummation uh, of our our salvation uh, with Christ. Um, it uh, the the language, of course, is consistent with the idea, of Brother Ray, of of the, of the church uh, members being the bride of Christ, uh, people who are saved, uh, being pictured as the bride of Christ. They they come together now for this. Uh, wonderful celebration of our relationship to the Lord in Christ. Uh, verse seven, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb uh, is come. Uh, and his wife, that's us, hath made herself ready. Uh, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. That'd be a picture of our uh, purity in the eyes of God, our sins, having been covered by the blood of Christ, uh, his righteousness paid onto or imputed to our account. Uh, We are presented to the Lord as a clean and white uh, bride uh, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Verse nine, and he saith unto me, the Lord saith to John, write, uh, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage uh, happy, uh, that would be a component of, of bless, the blessedness here, we're called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he saith unto me, uh, these are the true sayings of God. Um, look back um, in verse 8, let us be glad and rejoice uh, and give honor to him for the marriage supper of the Lamb is come and his wife, uh, saved people, hath made herself ready. Is, I think you you do well to stop there and consider what is it that makes people ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Zach, what would be? I've said it already, but what would be the most important thing? What what would what would be like the thing that makes you ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb? Salvation, sure, uh, sure. Sal- salvation. I wanna I wanna encourage you to just make a quick list here. Here's a a, a list of related ideas that, that it's not my list another, another man offers this he said sure uh, salvation be the first thing so uh, what would uh, John says this is his wife which hath made herself ready uh, receiving Christ be the first and most important thing that would make one ready uh, for the marriage supper of the Lamb uh, this man suggests that living a pure life uh, also, uh, also uh, makes us ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, We're pictured here as clean and white and righteous. And Mike, we are that in God's eyes. That's the positional sanctification that that we see, that idea that we have been made righteous uh, positionally in God's eyes because of the blood of Christ, but uh, also living a, a life that is practically righteous. Um, certainly uh, would be good preparation for uh, this time. Uh, One man says also, so living a pure life, number two. Number three, keeping uh, our affection uh, on him. Number three, by keeping our affection uh, focused upon Christ. As a a young lady who's uh, betrothed or engaged uh, to be married to a young man, she does well uh, to keep her eyes Uh, her affection focused upon him James 4 4 says uh, ye adulterers and adulteresses uh, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God whoso thereover will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God so uh, Lord help us keep our eyes off of the world help us not to fall in love with the world help us uh, that our affections not be set on the world but but upon you uh, desiring uh, you and then lastly Uh, it's been suggested that we be uh, we are prepared for the marriage supper of the lamb uh, when we live a life that demonstrates love to him by by living uh, in a manner that demonstrates love to the lord sure uh, as a young couple is preparing for marriage uh, they uh, desire to live purely they desire to keep their affections upon one another and they desire to demonstrate love uh, to one another. Um, how does the Lord desire that we demonstrate love to him, Zach? By uh, obedience, right? Verse be John 14, 15. Get that into your notes if you would, John 14, 15. Jesus said, if ye love me, keep my commandments, right? So that's his love language, right? Uh, if you love the Lord, if you say, Lord, I love you. Uh, you need to be able to say, Lord, it's my desire, and although it's not perfect obedience, I'm, uh, I'm choosing obedience, and I, there there is a, a growing obedience in my life. That's what it would mean uh, to say that you love the Lord. You've chosen to obey His word, and you're looking to Him for strength uh, to do that. So, yeah, a short list of things: uh, salvation being the thing. Uh, but several ideas that we could add to that that would help us to be prepared for uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb, this time when we come into the presence uh, of the Lord as his bride. And you think back to um, all of the uh, imagery back in the Song of Solomon. I think uh, throughout that um, book we, we said, hey, that, that could be viewed as a man, and literal man and woman, Uh, And the love that God has called the husband and wife to demonstrate to one another. But it also uh, seems to be a picture uh, of the relationship that we enter into uh, with the Lord through uh, a humble, repentant faith in Christ. And you remember all all of the desire and the focus uh, for one another uh, that we saw there. Uh, The bride, the bride picturing us, the bridegroom, picturing Christ, uh, his affection fixed squarely upon his bride, uh, her call to, to have the same uh, settled attention settled upon him. And so, Lord help us, uh, Lord help us. Remember that you've pictured our relationship with you this way. Uh, you've called us to uh, a love that is a, an, a, a love in action, uh, and you've called us to um, uh, a love that is pure uh, and undefiled, one that is focused upon you. Let's continue on. Uh, verse 10, so you remember the setting here. John sees uh, people. He sees beasts, uh, angels, uh, evidently. Uh, and, and you recall in, in verse 10, John seemed to be Um, inclined to fall at the feet of of the angel, the beasts or the angels. John said, I fell at his feet to worship him. Uh, Just one second. I'm going to go back and just make a quick, um, yeah, Um, okay, I fell at his feet to worship him. He said to me, see thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant uh, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Uh, so it seems to be the case that the angels in, in heaven take care uh, that they would not receive worship. And so, Mike, that's, that's a good observation. The elect angels, those that have not rebelled against the Lord, uh, refuse to be worshiped. We know the Antichrist, uh, who is not an angel, we don't think, seems to be a man who's empowered by Satan, a fallen angel, he desired to be worshipped, but the the elect angels, those who remain faithful to the Lord, uh, reject worship. They're the Lord's messengers uh, and ministers, and and they always point back to the Lord when it comes to uh, worship. See thou, do it not. I am thy fellow servant. Uh, Middle of verse 11, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit uh, of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, One man says this teaches us that Jesus Christ is the heart and theme of the Bible in general and of Bible prophecy uh, in particular. Of course, we know that Christ came in uh, fulfillment of both the law and the prophecy. We'll revisit that idea uh, in, in the next hour. Uh, and so, wonderful scene here of, of heaven. Uh, the raptures occurred, the bulk of the tribulation is over, the Lord's people come into his presence at the marriage supper, uh, wonderful uh, wonderful union of, of God's people uh, with the Lord uh, in his presence. Uh, And then, beginning uh, in verse 11 and really all the way down through verse 21, uh, seems to be language that describes that great battle at Armageddon. Uh, Armageddon, the word only appears um, in chapter 16, uh, verse 16, if you want to just take a peek there, maybe just make a note, uh, the word uh, is a reference to the place. Uh, It's a Greek transliteration of a Hebrew word that literally means mountain of Megiddo, mountain of Megiddo. So Mount Megiddo, um, this would be a literal uh, geographic feature uh, there. Uh, Southwest of the Sea of Galilee, there's this great plain of Megiddo. Uh, Mike, there's been, we've talked about this many times, but... Uh, It's been described as one of the most perfect battlefields, perhaps the most perfect battlefield um, anywhere in the world. There have been great battles in history upon this plain of Megiddo to which the word Armageddon literally uh, refers. Uh, It would appear to be the place where the armies of the world are arrayed against Israel at the end of the tribulation period. The Lord will come and, and put down... Uh, the armies of the world um, at that time. I'll just say again this morning, I know I've, we've had occasion to, to say this several times recently, unfortunately, um, the all of the anti-Semitism that we're seeing in the world today, uh, even the presidents, is, presidents of some of the top colleges in the United States, one just had to resign yesterday uh, because of her speech that was pretty object, objectively anti-Semitic. Uh, the, the anti-Semitism that we're seeing throughout the world today, Brother Ray, it's, it's surprising, but then again, it, it shouldn't be because we know, you know, it seems to be the case the stage is being set for the, this future time. Um, it's, it's not too hard to see how we get from where we are culturally today to all of the armies of the world being arrayed against Israel. We know there's a great hatred of Israel and Jewish people that spilled out into the streets and even out of the mouths of Ivy League college presidents. Uh, it's, it, it, it is shocking. Um, and so, right, we, we will not be surprised uh, to see the, the world arrayed against Israel uh, at the end of the tribulation period uh, at this place. Have a note um, in, in my notes, just very interesting, at the plain of Megiddo. Uh, This is the place where in September of 1918, uh, there was a battle between Turkish and British forces, uh, which resulted in British control of the area, uh, which paved the way for the modern state of Israel to come into existence, and so it's just very interesting. There was a battle there. Uh, World War One, which did uh, really literally pave the way for Israel to become a nation again, uh, not until 1948, but uh, very clearly, uh, the Lord used that battle at that place to kind of put the process in motion that allowed Israel to become a nation again uh, 30 years later in 1948 world will come against that same nation in that same place one more time. Uh, John says, verse 11, I saw heaven open and behold the white horse and he that sat upon him uh, was called faithful and true. This is the Lord Jesus, of course, and in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. uh, Certainly, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew uh, but himself, and uh, crowns, of course, be a picture of authority. Uh, he has great authority. Uh, Colossians 2.10 says, all ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality uh, and power. Philippians 2.10 says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. Right, uh, he has a perfect authority, uh, which is pictured here uh, by the many crowns, Uh, upon his head. Uh, See verse 13, he was was clothed uh, with a vesture, clothing dipped uh, in blood, uh, and his name is called the Word of God. This is uh, his name. There's another name evidently uh, in verse 12. Uh, In verse 13, another name, I believe, uh, is, is the Word of God. So uh, verse 13 is very interesting. He's clothed uh, with a vesture dipped in blood. Uh, Brother Ray, this does not seem to be, and I think we get confused sometimes when we don't look at the, the context. Uh, one of my college students said something this week that I don't think I've ever heard before, but they were taught this somewhere along the way. They said, when you're looking at the Bible text, you need to consider the immediate context and the greater context. Uh, when you're looking at the text, you need to consider the, uh, the immediate context and the greater context. And that's, he was taught that somewhere along the way. And that's, that's just a good statement uh, to keep in mind. Uh, the context of this text as you continue forward pretty clearly is that battle of Armageddon. And so the blood here is probably not the blood of the cross but rather the blood of his enemies who he puts down um, at this battle. Uh, at least the context would, uh, would describe that. Uh, do this, please. We have a, a couple minutes here. Go back to Isaiah 63. Just flip back to Isaiah 63, if you would, please. Um, Isaiah 63 um, paints a picture of a great warrior, Uh, returning from a battle covered in the blood uh, of his foes. Now, it seems like Christ is pictured as coming onto the scene covered in the blood of his foes. That's maybe a little different, but um, this picture in Isaiah 63 uh, contains an awful lot of language that bears similarity to our passage in Revelation uh, Isaiah sixty three one. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? Uh, this that is glorious in his apparel, travelling in the greatness of his strength. And that language would certainly be consistent with this chapter in, in Revelation. Uh, I that speak uh, in righteousness, mighty to save. Uh, wherefore art thou red in thine apparel? So uh, lots of similarity. Look at verse three. Uh, I have trodden the winepress alone. Uh, and of the people, there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger, certainly could be a picture of Christ coming against uh, the armies of the world, uh, who he treads in his anger. Uh, they're pictured here as a wine press, and the grapes being squeezed, being tread out in, in a wine press. He'll trample them in his fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. Uh, and I will stain all my raiment for the day of vengeance is in mine heart and the year of, of my redeemed is come. And so, uh, yeah, Isaiah 63 and verse 1 uh, seems to look ahead to this same uh, still future time. Uh, by the way, you could just make a note. Uh, Revelation 14 uh, chapter 14 and verse 19, so you have Revelation 19, but also Revelation 14 and verse 19 use a similar imagery, where the angel thrust his sickle into the earth, gathered the vine of the earth, cast it into the great winepress uh, of the wrath of God, and the wine press was trodden without the city, and blood came out uh, of the winepress, and so you have this imagery of the uh, foes, the enemies of the Lord, pictured as uh, grapes that are uh, harvested unto judgment. They're tread upon, uh, their juice being pictured as blood that covers uh, the one who executes judgment against them. Brother Ray, that's uh, that's pretty uh, gruesome scene in, in, in many ways. It, it pictures a scene that's quite gory um, and bloody. Uh, but it's a, it's a scene it's a picture of a scene that uh, also pictures uh, ultimately a perfect victory of Christ. Uh, the one who shed his blood for those who would choose him uh, is now the one who comes and executes judge a bloody judgment uh, against those who refuse him and so there's uh, there's there's really two choices you can, Mike accept the one who shed his blood for you or you can uh, meet judgment uh, and have your own blood shed by him and that's this is really the the choice that is presented in scripture and of course uh accepting Christ who shed his blood for us is far better choice uh indeed verse 14 and 15 pictures the heavenly armies that follow and I believe this is an allusion to us Verse 14, the armies which were in heaven follow him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, Christ's mouth, that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Yep, sure enough. Uh, You make another note, Joel uses, the prophet Joel uses some similar language. We won't turn there, uh, but make a note in Joel 3 and verse 13. Joel, of course, is a prophet. He says, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down. The press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley plain of Megiddo, the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near uh, in the valley of decision. Sure. Uh, Joel 3, 13 and 14 seems to picture the same uh, day. Uh, back in Revelation 19, our passage and verse 16, he, Christ, has on his vesture, on his thigh, a name written King of Kings and, and Lord of Lords. Uh, I'm just going to keep reading here down through the end. Verse 17, I saw an angel, John Wright, standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come, gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. So this is not the marriage supper of the lamb in heaven. Uh, this is a supper for vultures who will feast upon the bodies of, of those who have come against the lord verse 18 that she may eat the flesh of kings the flesh of captains the flesh of mighty men the flesh of horses of them that sit on them the flesh of all men both free and bond both small and great so there's this great contrast also there's the blood of christ shed upon the cross versus the blood of his enemies that he uh, he brings forth uh, in, in judgment. He executes in judgment. There's the marriage supper in heaven for those that have come to him through his blood. Uh, there, or there's the other choice or decision, in Joel's language, uh, to be the feast of vultures, of, of birds, uh, after the Lord executes judgment against you for refusing him and opposing him. There's great choices, great contrasts uh, in view here. Uh, Verse 19 and 20, the beast and and the false prophet, the Antichrist and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. Uh, I saw, verse 19, the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast uh, was taken. Again, I believe this is the Antichrist. uh, And with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him Uh, with which he deceived them that hath received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And so uh, there's great judgment here for uh, the Antichrist, the false prophet, uh, together with all of those who allied themselves with them uh, during the tribulation period. Uh, verse 21, and the remnant, the, the remaining members of this wicked army, the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, uh, with uh, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, uh, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. That's a pretty gruesome scene, but it is uh, a wonderful picture of a very literal scene, future scene, Brother Ray, where the Lord will have a perfect victory over his enemies uh, at that time. Those that rejected his blood uh, and chose to have their own blood shed. Uh, Those that were not able to participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven because of that, but but who instead became uh, a supper for vultures. Uh, having suffered the wrath of Christ and a perfect vict- his perfect victory uh, against them. Aren't you glad this morning that you've made the right choice? You've made the right decision, Joel's language. And uh, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb that we have to look forward to uh, because of Christ and his blood. It's not our blood that will be shed uh, we've placed our faith in him and the blood that he shed. Our certain hope is the marriage supper of the lamb, rather than having our blood shed and becoming a supper for vultures. Brother Ray, we've made the right choice. Amen. We'll stop there. Thank you, Lord, uh, for uh, revealing all of this. Father, we're, we're so grateful to know uh, the truth and to know um, all of the at least all, all of the uh, benefits of our salvation that you've chose to reveal to us. Oh Lord, we um, certainly are not worthy of our salvation, but boy, I'm grateful this morning uh, and grateful this morning to know that we come with Christ. Um, we come on his side uh, at the battle of Armageddon, uh, not to be judged, uh, not to be Become the supper of birds, vultures, and the like, but rather uh, we come uh, with him, allied with him on his side, uh, having experienced the wonderful marriage supper of the Lamb. Lord, thank you so much this morning uh, for the truths uh, that we've seen here. Father, thank you for the reminder this morning of our constant command to praise ye the Lord, all of us, uh, to be in that business. And and Lord, to uh, be reminded this morning of the praiseworthiness of our Savior, uh, the one who's made our salvation possible, the one who is worthy of glory and honor, the one who is all-powerful, uh, omnipotent. Uh, Lord, thank you so much this morning. and I pray, Father, that uh, in the balance of our day today, you give us hearts to be obedient to that command. Be in the business of praising the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for each one who's here this morning. pray you bless them now. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks for being here this morning. We'll be back here shortly.